Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and if you want to learn more about our church, look us up on Facebook or our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. I want to take a moment this morning and congratulate two of Valley View's own, Robbie Dosey and Danielle Burwell, both now high school graduates. You have achieved a mighty accomplishment. I know the road to graduation and completing your high school education has been full of memories, friendships, hard work, and the way has not always been an easy road. Congratulations to each of you. Job well done. God has mighty plans for each of you, and I am proud of you, and your Valley View family is proud of you as well. Now, on to the sermon. During a British conference on comparative religions, experts from around the world debated what, if any, belief was unique to the Christian faith. They began by eliminating possibilities. Incarnation. Other religions had different versions of gods appearing in human form. Resurrection. Again, other religions had accounts of a return from death. The debate went on for some time until C.S. Lewis wandered into the room. What's the rumpus about, he asked and heard, in reply, that his colleagues were discussing Christianity's unique contribution among the world's religions. Lewis responded, Oh, that's easy. It's grace. And after some discussion, the conferees had to agree. The notion of God's love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached, seems to go against every instinct of humanity. The Buddhist Eightfold Path, the Hindu doctrine of karma, the Jewish covenant, the Muslim code of law, each offers a way to earn approval. Only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional. And so, so today I want to talk about God's grace. This is a fitting day to talk about it as it is Memorial Day weekend here in the United States. This is a day which we take time to remember and give thanks for the men and women who have given their lives for our freedom. The, that ultimate sacrifice and gift of their service is a little bit like grace. No one here can pay back the fallen. We can only receive the gift of freedom that they have purchased and protected for us. That's why it's a little bit like grace. But what is grace? Grace is undeserved and unmerited favor and forgiveness. I want to say that again. Grace is undeserved and unmerited favor and forgiveness. God is grace. He is the source of grace. He gives grace to us. And to say that he gives grace to us freely is redundant. Grace, by definition, is free. It cannot be purchased and cannot be paid back. Grace cannot be earned or deserved. I want to take a moment and say here today, we're going to read several passages of Scripture for this message on grace. So if you're looking for one main passage, you're not going to find it, but you're going to find many, many, many passages about grace throughout the whole Word of God. Grace cannot be earned or deserved, and the first passage of Scripture I want to direct you to is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's not something we earn, but it's a gift from God. Romans 11:6 tells, tells us this, And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. As simple as grace is, it, mu it is most difficult for you and I to truly receive it. 
we humans have a habit of wanting to pay for grace, as though we have a currency that has of value to God. Grace is not benevolence. Benevolence is seeking good, not for yourself, but rather good for others. And benevolence, the trick with benevolence is that it can be deserved. But grace is never deserved. Grace is not based on our worthiness or our merit, but it is instead based on our need. Grace makes everything work. Imagine, if you would, for a moment, a world without grace at all. That might be impossible for some of you, but a world without grace would be a terrifying thing. At best, a world without grace would be full of instant, sharp justice, judgment with no leniency. Everything would be black and white, cut and dry. And at its worst, the lack of grace would cause chaos, dysfunction, and destruction. The lack of grace would cause us to fester, and we would become rotten. Without grace, there is no hope. My invitation to you today is that you would receive God's grace, and that in that grace you would find the hope of life. My challenge to you is that you would then in turn show that same grace to the people around you. I want to talk about many aspects of grace today, or at least a few, and the first is this. God is the source of grace. You must understand that God is a God of grace. The whole Bible is a story of God's grace for us from beginning to end. Many people today see grace in Jesus, but only judgment in God the Father. They say that the God of the Old Testament is about judgment, and Jesus of the New Testament is about grace. This is not true. Yes, God the Father brings judgment, but so does Jesus. In fact, we should be much more weary than we are of Jesus as our judge. The Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 22, tells us about this. It, these are the words of Jesus himself, and he says, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. Well, so much for those who would say they don't like the judgy God of the Old Testament, and they like the love and the forgiveness of Jesus in the New Testament. Here it tells us that Jesus is going to be the judge over everyone. That the Old Testament is full of grace, and perhaps the reason we see the judgment of God is it's full of people who need grace, and yet they resist grace at every turn. Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7 tell us this, And he, meaning God, passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So here we have words of judgment in this passage, but there are also words of grace. God is even described rightly and firstly as compassionate and gracious. God is grace in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. But in the New Testament, we are more able to know God through his Son, Jesus Christ. This is where we learn that Jesus is the fountainhead of grace. John chapter 1, verse 17 tell us this, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And I have a verse here that I really want you to hear. I want to read a longer portion of it and then direct your attention to the particular part that I want you to hear this morning. So it's 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 through 22. For no matter how many promises God has made, 
they are yes in Christ. And so through him the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit into our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. What a beautiful verse. God has promised much for each of us, and none of us deserve what God has promised. And here we are told that Jesus is our yes. He is grace. Do we deserve what God wants to give? The answer is no. But the Bible verse here tells us that Jesus is the transformation of that no into yes. I want to read that, that verse one more time. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. God is grace, and we see this most clearly in Jesus Christ. But there's a problem. We struggle to receive grace, and there are several reasons why we struggle to receive grace. You might struggle to receive grace because you feel you are not worthy. Please know that even though you might not feel worthy, Jesus is still yes. He is your yes for God's grace. Number two, you might feel that you must earn grace or pay back grace. It is as though God hands you a $100 bill and you feel like you must pay for it. And you might say to yourself, Here, God, let me give you five $20 bills in exchange. Like God is just asking for change instead of giving grace. The power of grace is that it requires that we have to dethrone ourselves as authorities in our lives. The first sin was that Adam and Eve wanted to be like God. So they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. To receive grace is to admit that we cannot produce the grace that God produces to save ourselves. We are not God and need grace that he gives us. So we can't earn it and we can't pay it back. Thirdly, we have trouble receiving grace because we feel frustrated that God will not let us deserve grace. Have you ever heard someone say, oh, I'm a good person, and you might be a good person, but our good is still very criminal in our sin. Maybe you've heard say, someone say, how dare God judge me? Well, that's another version of, well, I'm a good person. How dare he say that I'm not good enough? That is you and I trying to be God, and we should just be what we are, you and me, humans, not God. For grace to be real, we cannot earn it, we cannot deserve it, it must be given. We need that verse from Second Corinthians 1, verse 20, and we need to let Jesus become our yes, and you need to let Jesus become your yes. Secondly, without grace, we are in grave peril. This we must understand. There's a story of a community prayer breakfast, a group of men who, who gathered every week or so to share breakfast together. And on this particular morning, they were talking about retirement. And one man at the table who appeared to be in his early 50s said how much he was looking forward to the end of his career. He talked about a conversation he had had with his wife that morning. And she'd asked him, what are you going to do when you retire? And he said to her, well, I'm going to sit on the couch and watch TV all day. The table was silent. But finally, someone spoke up and said, If you do that, you'll be dead in a year. The man was surprised. He was shocked, and he looked at the, the person who said he'd be dead in a year, and he asked, well, Why do you say that? And the response came, If the lack of purpose in your life doesn't kill you first, 
your wife will. Without grace, we are in peril. Mark McMinn, in his book, Why Sin Matters, writes these words. When we see ourselves as pretty good, we misunderstand the gravity of sin and our desperate need for grace. We place ourselves above others, becoming their judges, and give them the power to disappoint us. A, phys a physicist friend uses this analogy. Each of us like a light bulb. Each of us is like a light bulb. One shines with 50 watts of holiness, another with 25 watts. Maybe the most stellar of Christians are 200 watts, but these comparisons become trite in the presence of the sun, meaning the sun in the solar system. In the face of God, our different levels of piety are puny and meaningless. It makes no sense to compare ourselves with one another, because we are all the much more alike than we are different. That's why I say, without grace we are in peril. Our best is not good enough. We need God's grace, and fortunately, He gives it to us. Romans 3, 23-24 tell us this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Every person stands under sin. Every person is under judgment because of sin. We are all in peril and need grace. Romans 6:14 tells us, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Thirdly, about grace, I would say this, grace is costly. And I think many of us forget how pricey and costly grace is. Karen Morrod recounts a story about the cost of grace. She talks about a time where she went shopping in a store for a sweater. She was in a hurry and the cost needed to be minimal, so she went to the clearance rack. She flipped through the sweaters and one caught her eye. It was the right color and it was the right size and best of all, the price tag said $8. Without much more thought, she made her purchase. At home, she slipped on the sweater. Its texture was like silk. She made the purchase so quickly she hadn't noticed how smooth and elegant the sweater was. Then she saw the original price tag, $124. She gasped. She gasped, having never owned a sweater that expensive, and she recounts, I had come home with what I thought was a cheap buy, but the original price was much higher, and I had been oblivious to its value. At times I have treated the power of Jesus' blood like a cheap buy. God's grace, though free to me, carried the highest price tag of all, the life of his own son. God, grace, God's grace is costly. It is not to be treated lightly, or something we can take or leave and take up again on a whim. Second Corinthians 8 verse 9 tells us this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. So grace is costly. Don't ever cheap it, treat it like a cheap buy. Fourthly, I would say this, Grace makes us costly. There's a Nike commercial. It's got a lot of images, but no real words in it. It simply shows a series of people with one thing in common, a nasty injury or scar. There's a cowboy with a huge scar around his eye, a fellow with a bulbous cauliflower ear, and another man with, a hor with horribly calloused feet. 
There's no explanation in the advertisement, just simply that Nike logo and the phrase at the end, just do it. The ad has been criticized for being incomprehensible and extreme, but the key to the commercial is in the background music. It's Joe Cocker sings, you are so beautiful to me. To the wrestler with the misshapen ear, the surfer with the shark bite, to the bull rider blind in one eye, injuries are beauty marks. And to their fans, these athletes are beautiful because of their scars. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, says Mike Foligno, the ad's creator. God's grace is just as jarring. Our beauty is not found in us, but in the one who looks down at us. Though we are injured, blind, and scarred, you can hear the song, You are so beautiful to me. Grace makes us costly and valuable and precious, not because of who we are, but because of the God who gives us grace. To put it another way, here's another story if, or, or illustration. If someone offered you a $20 bill, would you take it? What if that person wadded up that bill and threw it on the ground? Would you still want it? What if they stepped on it and kicked it? Could you still go to the story, to the store and spend it? And the answer is yes. The bill has value because of what it is, not because of how it looks or where it's been or what it's been used up for. A crisp, clean $20 bill is worth the same amount as an ugly, old, abused one. You may feel like you've been stepped on, beat up, or kicked around. You may feel dirty or unworthy or useless. But be encouraged by the $20 bill. No matter what you've been through, you still have value to God. He loves you. Fifthly and finally, I would say this. We need to have grace for others. Can you think of someone that you're angry with? Someone that you might even hold a grudge against. You hear their name and you can feel the pressure build up inside of you. You need to give them grace. And I know that's easier said than done, but we are called to be a people of grace. Colossians 4 verse 6 tells us this. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Thank goodness that God has shown such grace to us. Let us be part of a chain of grace. Grace from God to us, and then grace from us to others. Grace from us to others. We are to give grace to those around us. When others wrong us or frustrate us, we are called to extend grace to them. If God's grace is a free gift of favor and forgiveness, our grace to others should be the same. I fear that many of us think of being gracious to others as akin to like when a mother says to a child, now be nice. Grace is not just being nice to others. It is giving them a goodness and a blessing that they do not deserve and that has not been earned. With staying home and being closer to each other during the pandemic, perhaps people are getting on your nerves or family members are getting on your nerves. Be patient. Be gracious with them. Give them grace. Perhaps it helps to know that the same grace that God offers you, He offers to every person. God extends grace to all, because all are precious to God. Are you willing to value others the way that God values them? If God is willing to give others that beautiful grace, should we not see their value the way that God does? 
I know that emotions are running high with this pandemic, and some are full, some people are full of fear of the virus, others are full of fear of losing the economy, some are full of fear of losing their rights. Everyone is developing a short fuse, and so now is a time more than ever for the Christian to represent Christ in word and deed by giving others the same grace that we have received. Think for a moment again. What's the opposite of grace? Well, it's judgment. It's holding a grudge. It's anger, hatred, even if it is just. Recently, I encountered a quote from the funeral of George H. W. Bush. The quote is a simple one, and it's a good one. Hatred corrodes the container it is carried in. I think a lot of people are getting frustrated with each other. They're holding hatred in themselves. They're becoming that container and they're getting corroded. Don't let that happen to you. Hatred corrodes the container it's carried in. And that's not a healthy way to live. If God does not see fit to hold anger and grudges toward our sin, but instead to offer us grace, then perhaps we should do the same for others. I suspect there is someone in your life that needs some grace. Will you give it to them? Being gracious to others is as much about your health and spiritual well-being as it is for others. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us today to receive your grace. Lord, today I acknowledge that I cannot earn your favor or your forgiveness. That was never part of your plan. Lord, help me to experience your grace fresh and new in my life. Whatever I'm doing to try to please you or feel good about myself, I surrender that effort to you. I just want to rest in your grace. Lord, help me to see and remember that you offer the same grace to every person I can think of. Help me to be gracious to others. It is not my inclination or the inclination of the human race to be gracious. Not the way that you are. So help me to give grace to those around me who need it most. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Go with Jesus.